0: For me, it seems like um, the potential for an agricultural revolution, um, grand, grand words, but it seems like particularly in Australia and particularly in land, marginal land, if we can't find ways to hold water in the land better, um, we're done for. If we can't find ways to pull more carbon in, keep the cover on the, on the ground, get more biodiversity out there, we're done for. I mean, I think that's uh, our, if we're going to keep burning, we're going to keep um, burning carbon, we've got to pull it down. We've got to then, we've got to give it back with our, with our soils and our landscape and our farming. That was Rachel Ward and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future.
1: G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott and in this podcast series I'll be uncovering the world of regenerative agriculture, its people, practices and principles and empowering you to apply their learnings and experience to your business and life. I'm an eighth-generational Australian farmer who transitioned my family farm from industrial methods to holistic regenerative practices. Join me as I dive deep into the regenerative journeys of other farmers, chefs, health practitioners and anyone else who's up for yarn and find out why and how they transition to a more regenerative way of life.
0: Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with Charlie Arnott.
1: G'day. In this episode... uh, had the absolute delight in interviewing Rachel Ward uh, here at her property, uh, just west of Maxville on the um, uh, New South Wales coast. And it's 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 um, appropriate that we uh, we met here, given the intention she has for this property. We talk about that in the interview, a um, little bit about her past and growing up on a farm, but more significantly, the contribution that she is currently making to the regenerative ag um, space. Uh, in in a form of a documentary she's putting together, and the the way that she's come to this point and and and, and has fostered um, a real passion for changing what she's doing here, not just at this farm, but um, joining the team, the regenerative agriculture sort of team in the world and uh, spreading the, the good news. Um, Rachel was a little uh, not apprehensive, but she wasn't quite sure whether she was an appropriate interviewee for the show. Um, so I, got a, I finally got it to the table and, uh, and, I was, and you and I and uh, anyone who listens to this will not be disappointed in uh, Rachel Ward's contribution and the way that she very succinctly and articulately and colourfully um, takes us on her own regenerative journey. I hope you enjoy this interview with Rachel Ward. Rachel Ward, welcome to the veranda of your wonderful farm. Can Thank you? you um,
0: I just start by saying you are really scraping the barrel. Which, <laughs> let's just get that said and done. Scraping the barrel, I'm talking so to not. somebody who's been regenerating, who's basically degenerating at the age of sixty, then to talk about my story regenerating is when I've been at it for about two months. Is scraping the barrel? It's Surely so there's got to be. People have had years and years of experience checking out the, the biodiversity in the paddocks and soil challenges and cattle size challenges. I can't give you any of that, and I tell you, that's what people want to hear.
1: I don't wanna. I want it. They want. I don't want to hear it.
0: What well, you don't, but no. we do. We are your audience, and I'm telling you what I want to hear. I certainly don't want to hear (laughs) some random who's been at this for two weeks talking regen farming. Okay, Rachel, thank
1: you for the interview. That was lovely. And (laughs) uh, no, no, I I have to reiterate to you and my listeners that this podcast is, especially series two, where we've broadened the scope of our um our interviewees that we're looking to explore. The journeys of our interviewees into the realm of regenerative ag, but not even regenerative ag necessarily, into the to an to a to an awakening to a regeneration of their lives and so, and, and so on. So you're actually the perfect interviewee because you have a very um, interesting story, and you it's you it,
0: don't know you haven't heard it could be dull as oh, no, water. I've, it is. I've
1: been on Google. <laughs> I've Googled all the, stu- all the stuff. You
0: believe all the bullshit.
1: You do. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I've made a bit up there's as well. There's more
0: bullshit <laughs> in my Google feed than there is on that paddock <laughs> out there. I'll tell you that much.
1: There's a lot, of, there's a lot out there in that paddock. Um, no, this is exciting because this is, this is an example of, of, um, of a person who has had um, uh, not much to do with regenerative egg for a long, long period of time and then has, for whatever reason, which we'll explore, Stepped into it, and you're not just stepped into it, you've got it in a big way, even though you're sitting here going, Oh, it's only a couple of weeks or you know, so, so many months. You're you, which we will get to, you're, you have embraced it like I don't know, I don't know anyone else who's embraced it the way you have.
0: Oh, you no, all seriously. we all do. That's what's so sort of, um, I suppose, kind of infectious about this whole regen game is that everybody jumps into it like lock, stock, and barrel when they do, don't mm. they? I've not met anyone who's not gone a little bit do lally obsessive
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was that do
0: lally obsessive um, Yeah. well we i mean it's strange because once you go down into this once you enter this bubble it's just so delightful and everybody in it is so delightful that you can get quite lost in it you can, not lost in it but you can live in it are you kind of like I barely want to get out of it these days.
1: Well, that's the point. I mean, this is, this is again, why you're you're here because you're a nice person who has found your way to a, to this world, you know, and your contribution is not over. It's just begun and that's part of my...
2: Good, I'm you the, talk.
1: Yeah. I'm the for boss. I'm the boss for the next hour and a half. Cool. So um, can you, you've already sort of touched on sort of where we are and what we're looking at. Rachel, can you give us a sense of of what we are looking at and why, why, we are, why we're here and what it means to you to be here?
0: Well, we bought this uh, about 30, how old is Matilda? 33 years ago now. And we were making a film up in Barreville, the veranda post town. And I remember arriving here to make the film and it was a little shonky, dusty airport, you know, with like one little hangar. And uh, we sort of walked off the plane and to this dusty hangar and then found our ways to um, little cottages that were hired for uh, the duration of the shoot. And it was just something about this area, the Nambucca Valley, and the sound of the birds. And we were here in sort of late autumn. And I think we just sort of fell in love with it, And as it's very easy to do. And I had never been... I don't think I'd been this far up the coast before, um, but I hadn't really been in Australia that long. I'd probably been in Australia about four years before we came up to do the film. And on our weekends, we used to gaze at the real estate windows and, you know, I suppose just fantasize about having a farm, as you do. So on weekends we went out and looked at a few farms. This was the first one we saw mm. and it was a pig farm and it had a piggery out the front and a piggery up the back there and it was, um, it just had sort of great bones and it was quite dry at the time And but it had this funny little white clapboard house, little farmhouse and it had those great bunya pines coming mm. up the driveway.
1: Amazing. I haven't seen... Pine Bunya pines in a row like that, yeah, an avenue anywhere. That's- Pretty
0: special, aren't they? Yeah. So they just had this sort of. It just had this kind of magical, kind of um, little hidden away valley there, which just and also it just backs onto the. Um, can't remember the name, huh? Um River? No, I'm Creek? just trying No, our, 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 our state forest over there. Um, oh, God, it's just slipped my. It'll come back. As, as state it'll forest. Come, it's our state forest right there. Mm. Oh, that's shocking. Which was on fire a few weeks ago. Which the whole thing was on fire. Huh? Yeah, the whole thing was on fire. And, um, oh, here's the name. Anyway, um, yeah, so we just had a mad moment. And when let's get it, I mean, it was crazy. It's six hours from Sydney, it's mm. uh, a big schlep. We, Brian, what is the name of the, of, of our state forest out there? Now What? What's the name of our state forest out there? <laughs> oh. Are you feeding
1: him? <laughs> <laughs> he's a good, he's a good gardener, this bloke. You got him, you got him working on a Sunday.
0: He, he rarely leaves the veranda. <laughs> <laughs> he's just doing it to show off. He's, he's building, never been to the barbecue he ever before. He's building a
1: fire. He's building a
0: fire. Good fellow. He he's, goes all right then. Yeah. It's following instructions because normally it takes him about five hours to get. A how much? Ma- how much? Ma- Google
1: it because we're run out of internet. Oh, all right. Is he? Oh, oh, those young people on those internet <coughs> things on the line.
0: <laughs> anyway, so here we are. We bought it on, on a mad whim, and um, neither of us. I mean, I did grow up in a, on a farm. Yeah, um, tell me about that. Well, my dad had a farm. Um, he didn't farm it, but he had farmland, and he would and he um, leased it. Leased his father. Farms out but they were always around so there was always sheep around there was always farms to go to and um, this is in the in the UK in yeah this was in the Cotswolds in England Mm. um so very green I mean not really like this this is much more undulating it's quite flat there but um it had something here that kind of reminded me of it um and yeah so we got it 33 years ago and we were very hands-off with farming. We, the the, the, the fellow, the pig farmer that we bought it off, he'd come up from Melbourne about four years beforehand having not farmed either and just got into pig farming. And he realised by the end he was earning about 60 cents an hour by the time he'd, you know, sat up all night feeding his piggies. Yeah. Um, bottle feeding his piggies and went, this is just not viable. So he moved on, but he stayed here. And then we got cattle and he had cattle as well and then we he just stayed on farming it so we were I don't know what what hobby farmers I guess I mean we just didn't um really get involved ourselves, other than had this fantastic place we had horses and we had cattle that were managed by Brian Chambers and then when he moved on Mick Green who is our next door neighbor he managed the place and um and he was with us for about 10 years, and then he retired, and then his son, Mick Green, who is um, now my farm manager and next-door farmer, he uh, took on the place, and he was the... um, uh, He was the... Uh, he was the, what's the word? He was the um, one who really got me going in this whole thing. Inspired one. Yes, he inspired me. He was the one who sort of turned it all on its head, really. Came to me like, we want to do this. And the Mm -hmm. minute he said, we want to do this, immediately it started to be interesting. I can't remember whether I'd seen the Alan Savory TED Talk first. I can't remember who showed who what. But we sort of came to it in a funny way Mm. almost at the same time. But so when we started talking about it, I was immediately interested um, and just the way he spoke about it. And, you know, I guess, of course, we're all deeply um, troubled by what, well, not we all, fortunately, not quite enough of us, but most of us who uh, believe the science are pretty um, um, electrified about Climate change. I certainly am. I'm extremely fearful about it, particularly having just had a grandson this year and imagining what his life will be. What? What will? What new events? What mm. new extinction? What new crisis? What new weather events? What new? Um, you know, just life changing events will have taken place. It's all moving so fast, isn't mm. it? When I mean, the fires and the COVID and uh, the whole Black Lives Matter, um, everything is, seems to be rolling on very, very quickly. And you just think, God, if it keeps that pace, um, I mean, I don't think we should be going back to normal, but it certainly is um, a very evolving pace. So who knows what will happen by the time he's a he's a young man. And that really concerned me. And so.
1: Well, before we get to that evolution and what. What we, what may lay ahead? Let's step back to. I'm interested just to your 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 connection with farming at a young age. You know, I'm, i You know, was there anything in your connection to, to, to your farm that sort of has 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 helped you understand what you're you're exploring now, or whether it's sort of life lessons, or um, it was it was there was there something with the memories there and, and experiences that have that have really um, stood you in good stead for where you're now.
0: I think it's a real, I think it's a real bonus to grow up in the country. I mean, I just have a very different relationship, I think, than Brian does, because he's very much a suburban boy, and although he loves it, he doesn't have. It's not it, there isn't sort of memory and sentiment invested in it. And also, I think um, just comfort. I'm incredibly comfortable in the in on the farm. I'm very comfortable. Um, going into the forest, not knowing where I'm going, sort of having faith that I will come out the other way somewhere or somehow my antennae will put me on the right path, which is very often not done. But (laughs) And I've ended up, you know, in the back of whoop-whoop out there um, very late in the evening and only sort of, you know, crawled home and very late at night, having gotten very lost. But I'm not afraid of that, (laughs) really. I'm not really afraid of it. And I don't know, it's just, I don't, I don't, I can unwind a fence and take the horses through and I'm not, and yeah, I just feel very comfortable in it. And, and, cap- um,
1: and capable, you feel capable? Yeah,
0: I feel very capable. I feel capable on, you know, horses and dealing with cattle and I'm not scared of cattle. I'm not, you know, I have no fear if they all come and crowd around me and, and toss their heads and I can stand my ground and tell them to rack off. Um, so I guess that's what it does. When you grow up in the country, you're just familiar with it, and it's um, and you, yeah, it's your comfort zone. I mean, I'm sort of, in a way, suburbia is my discomfort zone. Yeah, I feel much more plugged in, much more, um, much more energized in the country. I'm I'm quite bored in the city. That word that Brian swears he never uses, but I do, I get sort of, I get restless in the city and I go, now what? And here, you know, I can get on the horse, I can go and build another dam, I can go and get firewood, I can, you know, get my chainsaw out and crop and, and, and my trees. Um, you know, you can there's cre- just you can endless cre- create, things create, to do. Create?
1: Create. I mean, your, your world outside of farming was a was a world of creation. Is there? Is there, um, is, I mean, it's a different type of creation, absolutely. Is this, this is a, this is a. <sighs> Yeah, pretty, You can do some pretty, in, you know, um, permanent creation out here, yeah?
0: Well, my mum always says that that dam was my best creation because we oh, put that about dam that in. It's unreal. Yeah. For it was just a little tiny trickling stream that mostly went dry. And uh, I did see a huge dam not so far away from here, and I went, oh, God, wouldn't that be great if we could have one of them? And we could. We just had to dam that. It took three weeks uh, Clyde Clyde Blair came in with his bulldozer, put up the uh, put up that bank there. We didn't have a lot of clay, so we had to go and find some clay from somewhere else on the property. And he built that little island there, and we put the put the um, fig tree on there. And um, and then we came back after being away for a little while. There'd been rain, we came back, walked over the hill, and there it was. Wow. It's a great expanse of water as it winds its way back into the um, not the UN guy. The going to drive me mad.
1: The eucalypt state forest.
0: The eucalypt state forest. That's <laughs> the one.
1: Um, what about? I mean, you've enjoyed time here, and you grew up on a farm as a child, or you had lots to do with a farm. What What does it mean to you, um, for your your children and, and grandchildren to be connected to a farm? Is it important? Is it something that, you
0: know? No, not really, because I think you can't control that. You know, you can you can expose them to it and they love it. They do love it. But, you know, they may want to get their own little place. They may want to do plant their own trees. They may want to, you know, put a dam in where they want to. They may want to have their own way of being in the country, you know, which will be inspired by their time in the country, but it may not be here. I mean, I don't necessarily think that I don't have it to think that it will – we don't really have a succession mm. plan um, with the farm. So, and, you know, it's a very different thing too when you don't – I mean, we're not farming this farm. We make it work because we've got 150 or so head of cattle and um, so it's, it's, far it's, so good. That's
1: twice as much as I have right now. You're, you're farming. Yeah. yeah we, but
0: I'm not actually on the tractor. I'm not actually letting the cattle out. My, you know, my wonderful Mick Green is doing all of that. So, and I'd like to be doing more and I will do more. I mean, I've been distracted, I suppose, by having family and working in the city. So I haven't, um, I haven't gotten my feet as wet as I could have done. And I wish I had done more. I wish I'd been here more. I think I would have been uh, I think it would have been a more um, a less frustrating life, really. I don't know. Is farming very frustrating? I suppose it could be very frustrating. Yes, don't of course try it and, is.
1: Don't try and turn this round, Rachel. Yes, no. Just to answer that question quickly. Well, it can be frustrating, but it depends on what your parameters are, you know, and, and how flexible you one, one is. Because if if one sets a very rigid, prescriptive way of farming, it can, it can be very frustrating because nature. Yeah, by its very nature, is yeah. always sending you messages or little hints or changing the plan. I mean, it has a plan, but it's not never going to tell us. So you I know, know, but
0: I don't mind it when nature stands in the way or nature thwarts you somehow. It's when other people or bureaucracy or just an industry is is standing in your way or making mm. or thwarting it. That's somehow much more. Um, I don't know. I just um, I think it's. I would be able to take it from Mother Nature, sort of. Yeah. Um, that's fine. I th- think there's probably other people saying no. I'd rather the film industry to thaw me rather than Mother Nature. <laughs> she's far more. She's far more obstinate. Um, but yeah, well, I, I think I miss. I actually think I miss my calling. I would have loved to have been a farmer.
1: Well, can I just say that you are a farmer. You have a farm. Mm. You are. You are not absentee, as in you're, you're you know, an absentee, just because you're not here doesn't mean it's not part of you and you're not having an, uh, an involvement and an intention and, a, and, uh, and we'll explore that. But, but I've know. had none
0: of that. And this is what's so great about getting into this regen space because I have now and I didn't before. And I wasn't particularly excited by it before. Um, it seemed like you put the cattle out, <clears> that the, the, the soil does what it does, if you pay any attention to it at all. Um, you know occasionally a tree will die in the paddock and you'll wonder why Um, you know it's just was very two-dimensional and you know occasionally we'd spray some um, um, glyphosate on to kill a paddock before the winter feed was put on Um, I trusted that you know like a lot of people I was told that once it hits the ground it's rendered you know mute and uh, um, you know, no longer has any uh, destructive capabilities. Um, So I was just hearing probably what I wanted to hear. And it wasn't really until I started to really get concerned about climate change that I then went, well, here I am joining a rally here and there, but at the same time I've got a cattle farm with a lot of burping and farting cattle. How responsible am I? Mm. And then I started going, can't really have it both ways. And for a while, for about two years, I stopped eating meat, thinking the only way I can make an impact here or um, have, a, um, have some control over this was to stop eating meat. I thought that was the answer. And what I realized very quickly that it was um, the, the, uh, the, um, the instinct was right, but the method was wrong. Um, if I wanted to help climate change, I needed to be eating. Well, not necessarily eating meat, but I certainly needed to have cattle and should have had cattle. And I was, that was obviously a, um, uh, I mean, it, w- I certainly didn't get into it just because it made me feel better about, re- about having a cattle farm. But it was certainly made sense to me when I went down the regen path and realised what the cattle were actually doing to the grass that then was nip, nip, nipping and pulling down the photosynthesis and growing the structure of the roots and making them more robust and um, that whole cycle that, you know, anybody who's listened to your podcast will have heard that till the cows come home, people explaining that a lot better than me. But um, that was very exciting to suddenly find all this complexity and all this sort of wonderment in the whole thing that I'd sort of, Taken for granted hadn't really scratched the surface, and like anything it's not really until you, you you jump in boots and all that you actually get anything back so it really wasn't until I really started to go to be interested in regen and talking and finding out and going to field trips and talking to fellas like yourself that i um became um, became immersed in it, and the more immersed you become in it, obviously the more rewards you have. It gives you more and more mm. rewards, more and more interest. So I can come back now after being away and I'm just immediately interested about how the grass is growing, what else is growing, um, you know, immediately, Mick, have you seen anything new in the paddock? Um, what's going on with the cattle? Um, we've got some interesting dramas going on at the moment because we, you know, we basically come to the, come to our brick wall a bit in that we're subtropical, we've got more magnesium than um, calcium, and so we've got a you know, bit of a calcium problem issue, and what do we do to balance that? What do we put on the soil? It's not just wire and water. What have we got to do to sort of help get as, um, um, get this land to be as productive as it possibly can without spending a huge amount of money on inputs?
1: Biodynamics. We'll get to that. Mm. Mm. Just wanna go back to kay. your um your comments there about I guess the I'm not sure if you use the word in it might have used the word intention, but you know, farmers don't generally have an intention to harm or hurt the environment or you know, deplete it. It's it's yeah, it's absolutely. more about um it's but, the, it's but there's
0: it's, not a great excuse that I'm. I'm not going to be as generous as you are about that.
1: No, I was just going to say it's about the execution. It's a, you know, they have an intention, but then they'll go out and play, plop, you know, spray a chemical. They'll, or they have an intention, go. Oh, you know, I think I've done the right thing, but then they'll go out. They haven't. It's in the execution of that intention where they fall down because they haven't. You know, they're stuck in a paradigm. There's right. social and there's peer group pressures. There's yeah. family legacy. There's a whole yeah. lot of stuff that is. Stifling the execution of generally, you know, uh, an intention that is not to deplete and not, not 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 to not to mine and not to not to um, uh, reduce the, the health and
0: look. I think what people do with their own plot of land is their business. But mm. when you are using things like glyphosate and it goes into the water table, or it is you know, as our dear friend that Bush would say, gets into the atmosphere and it's in clouds, it's in rain, it's just everywhere, um, then I think there suddenly becomes a responsibility beyond your own borders. So if I use glyphosate on my farm, and I have done, obviously in the years when I was ignorant of, of, of its power, of what it was doing beyond um, killing a few weeds in my, in my paddocks or killing everything before we put a winter feed in, so it's not just I don't believe anymore that it is just sitting on my land. It is going into that river and whoever is putting, you know, we've got a dairy over there that uses a lot of rhea and that is also going into the river and that then becomes, they then become liable for what goes, or, you know, or I become liable for what I put in that river for mm. what, or what flows underground. And the minute it becomes somebody else's, um, you know, you're putting stuff into somebody else's welfare or somebody else's landscape or somebody else's river or the rest of us downstream, then I think you have to, I don't think there's an, ex- so I'm not quite so generous about, <laughs> it's okay, people do, farmers can do what they want to do.
2: Mm. I don't no, find
0: no. it's okay. No, I, I, no. I'm embarrassed about what, what I let go on mm. here for 30 yeah. years. I'm not embarrassed, but I'm regretful of what I let happen for 30 years here. I mean, if I'd gotten onto this sooner, I could be retaining a lot more water. I could have a lot more biodiversity. I'd have a lot more birds. I'd have a lot more wildlife. I'd certainly have a lot more fungi fungi and bacteria and whatever. And my farm, this landscape would be in better nick, I believe.
1: It 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 is in the hands of someone now, as it's always. It, I mean, I guess that's the interesting thing. It's been in your hands for thirty three years, but it's now in the hands of the same person, but with a different intention, yeah. and a different awareness, yes. and that's yeah. and that's the most. That's the really powerful thing. Yeah, and that's that's really exciting for everyone. You know, especially for the people downstream. Especially, you know, especially the, your neighbours, and yes, and we'll get to sort of that that your neighbourly relations. But that's a really powerful thing that um. You have a responsibility to this landscape and to the people involved and your family and you are, for whatever reason we'll get to, you are taking it by the kahunis and you're running with it. You know, and that's fantastic. That's such a lovely thing. And you have—I
0: have the will. Whether we are actually getting there, um, I'm—who knows? It's you know, we're we're newbies, and it's where you make all the mistakes and where you have all the sort of moments. And so you you should, yeah. Mistakes are great. Yeah, no, I I see that, but I'm not. We're not seeing enough. I mean, not seeing. You know, we've been in eighteen months. 2 years maybe.
1: <laughs> oh my so god. You should uh, This should be where a rainforest by now. <laughs> it should be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it does look different. It looks a little bit different. It looks it has a wilder sort of more disheveled look. Uh, it's not as tame maybe because we did a lot of mulching before. We did a lot of sort of just Tidying. Tidying up. Yeah, tidying. No, better tidy up that, Paddy. Yeah.
1: That's exactly what Chris said yesterday. Up. He goes, yeah. oh, no, we, we, yeah. oh, we better tidy that up. It's like, what, why? Like, yeah. because it's standing there and you think it's a waste. It's valuable. Yeah. It's actually as valuable standing, retaining its function as anything else. Probably more, fun, more, more benefit like that, you know. And then as long as there's an intention for its use, you know.
0: Well, I got a conundrum the other day because uh, that back forest up there that's on our land Burnt that nameless that so nameless had, forest. Yeah, so we had um, we had a, a fire going right through that and absolutely charred mm. the Jesus out of it, and every young tree was killed. So after it, there was just so much deadness in there, and so I wanted to, after reading uh, Dark Emu and Charles Massey's book and talking about these these the way the trees were before. Um, before we came along and mucked it all up, the way the trees would sit in the paddocks, And so I wanted to have more space between the trees. So we did get a bulldozer in there and knocked down all the dead small trees and opened it up so that we could get the cattle in there and graze in there. But now, of course, I can't burn the debris. Mm. I don't, can't put carbon back into the atmosphere. So now I've got these big piles that are going to eventually crumble away, I suppose, and turn into the, to the, you know, yeah. eventually decay and make a lot of fungi and, and who knows what little critters will be living in there. But it's uh, it's not like I imagined it was going to be with the just the sort of long grass mm. throughout meandering through these trees, park like. I sort of suddenly the little, took them yeah. all down, and then I went, well, I can't burn all this. Mm. What do you do when you when you have? Do you have any of those situations where you've taken down a lot of trees? Have
1: well, you? We we can't afford to take trees down because right. we, we we're putting we're we're, we're planting. I, I I can. I suggest- mean,
0: this was so dense you yeah. could, couldn't get through it. Totally. It I was- mean, what
1: what, you, what I can suggest is that you consider them a a, a nutrient sink. Yeah, that's right. Their habitat. Yeah, yeah, and you can let them do whatever they do, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. Or you can use a number of different things, which. Could potentially accelerate the decomposition of those.
0: Yeah, like what?
1: Um, well, biodynamics with help. There are right. there's there's a there's a, a, um, a thing that you can make. It's called native microbial um, something. It starts with S. And, and we've done it at home. And Kim Cruz at Region Ag did a um, biological farming course at Hanamino at Borua mm. um many some years ago now. And you basically collect the the fungal matter below gum trees, and um, in a bag. Yeah. a couple of bags, and you, and you, and you know it is, it, it's It's a good stuff when you can see that sort of white, Likes, the high yep. fin and everything through mm-hmm. there. So you gather that up, you take it to a shed on a, you know, a flat surface and you mix, I, think, I don't quote me on this, um, you mix milk powder and molasses, um, maybe a little bit of water, but milk powder and molasses, pretty sure, maybe something else. You mix it up into a, like a, a meal almost, yeah. it's not wet, yeah. and then you put it into a sealed container. And the fungi with the molasses, the sugar, the, the food, and the energy of the molasses and the milk just explode and sporulate. Right? They just go. We're alive. This is perfect conditions, and they just go. Wow! And you end up essentially with um, a barrel because we use a big plastic barrel full of, um, uh, you know, like fungal and uh, not eggs um, spores. Right. Right. And yeah. then this becomes an inoculant. So you then mix this with water. You can put it in a big tea baggy thing and put it in your troughs and the cattle drink it and then they take it out into the paddock and mm-hmm. you can basically inoculate, as it were, those paddocks. You can spray it on, on grass and especially lignified grass, which is um, hard to digest, and the fungi just go, yeah, and they start breaking down the lignified standing grass. And we've had cattle go into these paddocks that we've sprayed and they just annihilate it because they go, this is they know, cattle know that this is going to be easy to digest and i'm <laughs> suggesting if you do something like that um if you were then to basically do a, a, a you know, inoculation as it were spray those piles with this stuff yes. your fungus is going to go bananas it's already there yeah. but you're you're just dousing it with some um with with the 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 spores basically right. and you can you probably accelerate the process that then as it breaks down given that it's up here and the sort of above the thing the water's going to flow through there and it's going to bring those nutrients back down through the landscape as an example of what you can consider as a as a real asset.
0: So just underneath the underneath the gum trees there's what you have got yeah. to find what's some fungi yeah. under there.
1: Like those ones somewhere that yeah. the cattle haven't sort of stomped and carried on around. The
0: leaves or you, yes, you actually pick up the soil. Yeah,
1: because some of it's it's more it's a mulch, it's really a mulch like under that tree over there that's got the the, the, the branches quite low to the ground. Yeah. It looks quite protected under there. I'd say we went over there and we dug a dug a bit up. Um you just it's just like leaf matter.
0: That's a bloody campbell laurel, that isn't a little gum. Is it over there? Yeah, that one with the low branches, yeah. So these ones over there. But I you always know, find that underneath gums, it's kind of bare.
1: That's right, because you've got cattle trampling around it. Oh, right. Okay. So if you go somewhere that you probably haven't got the cattle trampling under, um, like even under this beautiful tree that, Ryan's walking past mm. under that kikuya, You're going to find some, but you want some with a right. you know where good place is is generally on on the um on the side of the road where there's not cattle trampling it. Right. And it well, just before you up.
0: go, we're going to go and find some so sure. I know what I'm looking for. Yeah, tops. Great. Let's do
1: it. And it's okay. exciting because it's like wow, this is the native. It's called native microbial s. Yes, someone will tell me can remind me what that is. Sporulate or something. Right. Spores. No, mm. native microbial spores. Anyway. We want to get back to you. That's no, just a, no, that's just a that little thing.
0: Very, I was happy with that diversion. It's much more interesting. <laughs> I hope the listeners were suddenly woke up. <laughs> oh, there's some information we no. need.
1: Now let's get back to you. Um, can we – what were some of the sort of the steps immediately before, you know, you went, oh, okay, I've got – you sort of touched on it with the sort of your interest in climate change and a, and a sense of responsibility. What were some of the things that you you read, you did, a conversation you had that sort of led you to – you know, whatever resolve um, you had um, to, 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 to change? And, and what, what, what actually changed? What, 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 what changes took place?
0: Well, it was just one of those things when you read a book that changes your life. And people have that. They have a teacher that changes their life. They have a book that suddenly changes their life. And at the age of 60, I read a book that absolutely filled me with so much hope and so much possibility for change in the right direction that I just went, whoa, this is a no-brainer. That was Charles Massey's Paul of the Reed Walker. And I just was completely um, electrified by it. I just went, no one, has, why isn't this just the new Bible? Why aren't we just using this as the blueprint to go forward? Because every those all those characters that he talks about in the book, every single one of them was their journeys were so interesting, and what they had, what they'd learned, and what they were now doing, and that whole thing of the carbon cycle and the whole issue of pulling down the carbon, getting the carbon out of you know the the percentage out of the atmosphere, getting it lower, drawing it back in. that was just a revelation. I didn't know how simple that was. We just have to do it right in the soil and we can balance our carbon issue. I mean, it's, it, it seems like why aren't we all <laughs> in a war effort doing this? I mean, it just seems this is the answer and how simple it is to do. Just We just have to get as much health going on on top of the soil and so that we can start to get the soil working and. You just have to do it on such a massive level. Well, actually, not even that massive level. I mean, there was this figure 0.4%. That's all we have to bring down to balance our carbon output. I mean, that's hardly anything. I mean, it's obviously going to be means that we have to have a hell of a lot more than we have at the moment being functioning in that way, that wonderfully organic way, holistic way of it bringing down the carbon and recycling and depositing carbon back in the earth where it's been, where it's been blown away by the topsoil and washed down the rivers. I mean, it's, and as Charles Massey says in the book, the blueprint is there, the answer is there. It's just Mm. waiting for us to pick up. And I went, well, after reading that, I can't then not, (laughs) I can't not. I mean, you know, that is, it's one thing when you know there's a problem, you know there's a big issue, but what is anybody going to do about it? What can we really do about it? Are we really going to stop digging up coal and selling coal? Is that a reality? Is that really going to happen? Probably not. But can we, can we sort out um, our paddocks? Can we sort out, can we farm in a way that we are carbon farming, that we are bringing, bringing more, that carbon down? That seems so easy. doesn't seem that big an ask. So, you know, done. Problem over, climate change solved. Am I crazy? <laughs> Am I crazy? Here's I mean, the isn't this what we're isn't this what we're yeah. talking about? That it yeah. doesn't really take very much to balance this, to get this
1: right. Mm. The simplicity of it.
0: The simplicity of it was just like, ugh. I mean, the fact that we've gone from twelve percent carbon in the, in our soils to less than one percent is, um, it the the system is collapsing. Mm. So. And it's not that hard to get it back. I'm not saying 12%, but not that hard to get it cycling. Anyway, we're in the midst of it, and it's, it's seeming quite hard for us at the moment. But, it, you know, people get there yeah. one after the other. They put the health back. They, you know, they get their soils functioning again. They get the carbon cycle functioning again. And it seems like it takes three, four years before, and it retains the water, and we're going to be dealing with our tri- drought issue. I mean, all that money that Little Proud came out with the other day, boy. I mean, I didn't hear the word regener- regen, ag, but you know, it seems like um, it's that's the no-brainer. Put the money there.
1: Well, as as um, is said often, and I think it's it's absolutely relevant that um, you know we don't need we don't need to be given fish. We need to be given. Fishing rods and taught how to use them, and we can look after these things. You know, it's so a government yes. government policy that supports um, handouts. Yes, it gets a farmer from this week to the next, or you know, down the track. Some without, you know, and and, and potentially saves their business and, and and farms, and sometimes lives. So I understand the benefit of that, but it helps them on the
0: transition.
1: That well, yes, well, yes, and no. I'm talking about handouts like buy more hay to feed those animals no, through that's, the drought. Yeah, no, So this yeah. is, this is the, yeah. the majority of the policy and the support that, that government offers is, is changing, but, but is historically has been that. It's like, let's, get, right. let's, let's battle yeah. this drought, let's get to the next one. I mean, yeah, this, that's crazy. Let's get to the next drought and battle that one. And we'll but they
0: the are talking out. a lot about resilience, drought resilience, and that is about, you know, improving the soils. So is that not, don't you find that more... Optimistic that we're actually talking about soil resilience, farmland resilience, rather than the handouts of the hay when it's all collapsed.
1: Yes, I think the language is changing, but uh, I'm I'm interested in action, you know. And so, how does the talk of the government about resilience play out in a landscape like this, or a landscape of Burrowa or Burke? You know, how, what, what are the on-ground things? And it's, in, in my view, is it should start in. The paddock between our ears it's about the training it's about the breaking of paradigms it's about the the acknowledging of what we are currently doing so yes, I, I agree but some we're,
0: very we're, small margins isn't that you we, we know that a lot of farmers work with extremely small mm. margins, so to take on the changes that are necessary, the education that is necessary the the changing the paddock between the ears, I think there would be you know, if they felt that if they fall a few times, which is inevitable mm. once you're first, once you're giving up the chemicals and mm. giving up the superphosphate and giving up the inputs, once you do that, that's pretty scary for people to suddenly go, I better have a few wobbly years. I need some support through some wobbly years. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my farm.
1: I mean, there's definitely a, tr- a transition stage that people go through and need to go through. Um, what I suggest to people is that they again change, like it doesn't cost a cent or not much to change a paradigm and change your the way you think. Reading a book, you for a cost of $34.95 yeah. reading Charlie's messy book sent you on a totally different change paradigms and one different. So that doesn't cost a thing. That does then present the opportunity to make decisions which are scary and involve change. Absolutely. Yeah. But there are ways that, that farmers and people, you know, changing jobs and can 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 step through like in a farming situation, we say you, you're spending X amount on per hectare or kilogram of beef you're producing, whatever it is. Carve off ten percent, put that into a biological and more natural product mm. or 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 print you know practice. Don't spend any more money, but just 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 consider that very you know slow transition. Ninety percent of what you're doing is the same. Ten percent is different. It's replacing. It's not adding on top of. And just see how you go. Step into it for twelve months, then and then get build the confidence. I went cold turkey. Mm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest anyone do that. Mm. And that wasn't cold turkey going from non organic to organic. We're not certified. It was, it was about. Um, I just went. I can't unknow what I hurt. What I now know about chemical use and yeah. what it does to soil. Yes. and yes. I in the food that I'm selling to people. So yes. I went. I can't do this. And I probably shouldn't have. I, I would suggest a much more um, uh, you know, a slower transitional approach to anyone. You know? So I acknowledge it's scary. Scary is you know, and, and change is a, you know, it, it's that it's that treading that line between chaos and order.
0: The other thing too about regen, it's been going on for quite a while now. So my my the thing that um gets me through it um is knowing that there are so many people who have gone through the transition, have had to deal with these. Various issues with their particular soil, with their particular climate, with their particular obstacles, and they have come out the other side. And there's just too many of them to not go. I know I'm just in this this little bit of a rocky road at the moment, but it will. I have absolute faith that it will balance itself eventually, and probably not very long. I mean, at the moment, it's interesting. We are definitely. Um, are, uh, our winter crops are our, our winter pastures are not performing well enough and our cattle are going to are going to lose are going to lose quality as a result of it. So do we then put a humate spray on? Do we have we got enough foliage out there, broadleaf foliage to put on the, the humate or to put the worm casting on or whatever, you know, and it's we're coming into winter. Is it worth pe- spending that money on that input? Or are we going to get it back from the cattle? Cattle, obviously, the prices are very good at the moment. Don't want to lose condition. There's all those sort of things that you are, you know, tossing and turning. And certainly Mick, my manager, is certainly tossing and turning about that. And we're talking about it a lot. You know, whether we we're too late to put it on. Whether we. And then the other thing is, should we? We're wrestling at the moment about whether we breed later, whether we um, join the, the the bulls and the cows later and have cattle in um have have calves in the summer where the feed is feed, greater yeah. or when the you know when the cows are mm. lactating and they need the the best the best um grass so all of those decisions mm. that are that are quite um that are serious decisions because you can Politics. really you can really mess it up
1: i think what, one thing that that is useful in that situation is if we if we if we're talking about like a what are we going to do with our winter pastures, for example, and 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 we, and we are grazing cattle on them, and can we will we have feed? Is to actually step back away one yeah. or two paces and go, why, why am I carrying those cattle? And there's no right or wrong here. Yeah. It's like why am I carrying those? Why am I thinking about carrying those cattle through those winter pastures to to spring? Right. Um. You know. You just mentioned, and this is mm. by no means advice. This is just exploring mm. this because this is a great example. It's like you just said. Um, cattle prices are great. Mm. I don't even know what they, if they're mm. cows or steers or heifers or what they are. It's sort of in some ways beside the well, point. Yeah, Cattle prices are really good. You're potentially looking at a bit of a feed deficit going into winter because of the, mm. you know, and you're considering some um, some ways to sort of um, change that succession or change the pattern mm. or whatever. I mean, standing way back and going, why, why am I carrying cows through winter? You might have a very or cattle. You might have a really good reason to do that. And that's fine. But then if you're asking yourself a better question about that scenario and standing back and going, do I, do I need to carry them through winter? The prices are good. Maybe I should be selling them now or the prices are good, not having to rely on those pastures through winter to feed those cattle and I can buy cattle at the other side when someone else has dragged their cattle through winter on pastures and I can pick up pick them up later on. Again, not suggesting you do that, but it's just an example of um, it's about breaking power. I'm doing it all the time at mm. home. Like where do, we mm. do things you know, in, a, in a way and some things we've done for a long time and it, you know, every other day I'm going, why are we doing that? What if we did this? And it's mm. about putting on the table all the things that you take mm. for granted and you make assumptions you've made and going, mm. you know, it's just asking better questions.
0: Okay, so then what do you do? do you have no, um, Do you have no attachment then to that herd? that you have, um, you know, quite purposely built up. So you've got rid of all your bad heifers. You've got the ones that can't, that have the bad births. You've got rid of them. So in the end, you've got this sort of robust herd that you've, you know, built over a few years and you've got your cattle that every year give you a calf and this is, we're we're calving country here. Um, um, you know, do you throw that away and buy buy in cattle that may not be used to this 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 grassland, mm. may be carrying, may have been drenched a lot, maybe putting antibiotics all over the, into the ground. Um, you know, there's all of those considerations to suddenly get rid of this herd, buy a new herd in.
1: You're only throwing them away if it goes against the values and the goals, the vision for this business. If your vision is to have 100 cows roaming these hills all the time, for whatever reason what, cuz you love the look of them and, or whatever then going and selling them is throwing them away because that's going against your vision if your vision is to um, use cattle – again I'm, I'm just sort of throwing mm-hmm. this around if your vision is to use cattle as a tool to improve the landscape mm-hmm. and, and you know build yeah. soil and, and you know just just be yeah. be, be, be you know, do that in this landscape then y- you would consider Selling them, I mean, yeah, you could yeah. consider the selling and the buying um, of those tools mm. appropriately, depending on price and how they, you know, meet your values. To do that, and it doesn't matter, you can't have both. You can, you can have exactly the same goals. You know, using cattle as a tool and keeping hundred cows—perfect, great, a great combination. It's just, again, it's just an example of stepping back and looking. And, you know, we talked about intention mm. here and execution. The intention is all about the goals, the vision, and the values that you put place on this landscape. And that involves family, it involves you, it involves um, the grass, the landscape, the ecology, the whole thing. Mm. That's the intention. And how well you execute that intention is what we're talking about. So, do you, you know, do you use… It's, yeah, my
0: paddock between my ears hasn't got that quite sorted out yet.
1: And but, that's cool. And, that's and I think fine. that's
0: where a lot of people do get hung mm. up, you know, selling their breeding herd, isn't it? whatever cattle sheep whatever isn't that the ones that really trips people up they just don't want to they've spent years building up that herd and getting the
1: it's a tough gig and no one no one's saying anyone should and you know we sold a lot of cows in the summer and it really really hurt i had an arrangement with dad 20 years ago that you know i would always keep 100 cows you know have you bought back yet no we haven't we we got down to 75 cows and that was really tough you know I broke my promise. and um,
0: But then maybe you've just got land that can't sustain the cows. I mean, maybe you're not going to get the rain. What, maybe you shouldn't be having.
1: I haven't. mean, I, I could run heaps of cows right now. It's whether I want to pay that price for them right now. That's, 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 right. That, then it's a financial consideration. It's what, what access to cash do you have? You know, how does well, it impact exactly, your management? Then what do you
0: do? Sorry, you get yeah. rid of your your, your herd. Mm-hmm. Like I'm starting to think immediately. Okay, off to market. But then, <laughs> no. <don't. laughs> but then what? You know, then well, you've got to buy exactly. You're in a position where yeah. you're not really able to buy back because the market's so high.
1: Well, it depends on what you're buying back and what for. You know, there's there's a there's a system of of livestock marketing called KLR marketing, which we 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 are you know, um, uh, we use. And um, by no means experts, but it's a, it's a, it's a way of considering, uh, again, not just going, oh, you know, cattle are a tool and they're a commodity and you go and buy and sell. Mm. It's, it's, there is consideration about how, how they are appropriate in your landscape and also how, um, how they meet your values and, and visions and goals and so on. But it's just a, it's just a, a, re, a fairly objective way of determining the value of animals you know whether whether it would be a good idea or not, depending on your your goals of mm. selling them or buying them. And you essentially the 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 principle is you if you're going to sell, sell mm. overpriced animals and buy underpr under, mm. underpriced animals. So you're turning a cow worth two thousand dollars, right, who eats X amount of grass, into something else that eats the same amount of grass, but it's cost you a lot less to get into. So you're actually leaving cash in the bank. It's a that's a very basic way to look at it. So um, without going into all the detail, I mean… I, well, I, what happens I,
0: when everybody starts doing that?
1: Well, this is the thing. Everyone starts doing that when they've all got grass, mm. right? So the thing is you have grass when others don't is, is, is a way to get around that. And that's not easy. You and know? you
0: said that everybody has grass at different times. Everyone so,
1: does, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the best time… I mean, a lot of people who do this well make a lot of money in a drought because they've actually got the feed bank in front of them and people are offloading because they haven't got the grass because they haven't done the calculations and they're saying oh I've got no I've got no grass left right and so others others who have grass who've budgeted their grass and have been looking at the season and making some calculations can often start buying cheap stock because other people are offloading them so if you can right. work counter counter to the to the the, the general cycle of, of of you know supply and demand that can that can be very beneficial.
0: Anyway, it's a riveting world. It's,
1: it's, <laughs> That's getting on the tin it's, tacks. So, um, it's
0: endlessly interesting.
1: It is. It's yeah. fascinating. And, and, and again, I, I only make that point, which we did get into a bit, but my point was, um, you know, we often get, we often look at things in isolation. And I think standing back and going and asking, well, why, why, why? Yeah. You know, why doing this? Because why, why, why? And then you can really get to some interesting answers posing those interesting questions. Yeah, yeah. And often we have to do it Mm. to them ourselves, Mm. Mm. you know. Mm. Because, you know, your your livestock agent is not going to ask you those questions, right? They're not going to be thinking about how to do that. I'm actually taking one of my livestock agents to the KLR course so he learns and understands the way we think. Because often when you go to agents... Going, oh, I want to sell these animals, you know, because they're overpriced. They go, oh, you're yeah, mad, you know, you've got to hang on. You'll never get back into them. You've got to hang on to them. Right. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'll probably get into them in 12 months' time when they're half price because it's another drought. You know? So it's about changing. It's not, and it's not about. Um
0: <sighs> I know, but then you get all this fabulous grass. Spring comes and all the grass yep. comes and you yep. put all this, you know, Uh, humates on etc etc and mm. the grass suddenly goes boom, and then you can't buy in again
1: as i said there's there's no right or wrong way to do things there's only to make a decision is you need data you need facts information and you need goals and the goals relate to the goals of your business and personal goals and family goals and whatever Mm. else and the data is you know what's the market price you know what's the What's the what's the opportunity of buying of of of, of um, me growing grass over winter and there's all these sort of fact fact based things as as you can make it and you look at both, and that's that's how you start making a decision of these things. So it's all about having goals pretty clear as to mm. what you want: landscape goals, financial goals, um you know animal production goals. I'm, I I want to have hundred cows. Cool. Well, we don't. If you want to have hundred cows at all costs, then we don't sell them. It's an easy easy decision to make. Mm. And, and then from that point, you then you've got to then ask other questions to to consider the fact you're keeping your cows as a thing. Done a very good job of spearing it, of, of um, spearing. dragging yeah. stuff out of me. Now. Well, whose whose show is this? It's
0: much more interesting. No, it's not. No it's, no, it's not. No, because we, of course, it is because you've been in this game for a long time, and there's lots of questions I want to ask. I mean, you know, I think everybody needs mentors and, um. I mean, we've been talking to Graham State mm. and he's been he's fantastic with, mm. you know, the, what you do with this, with this issue of too much magnesium compared to um, calcium and how, you, how are we going, you know. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, you do need mentors. You definitely need people who've been before you who are also mentors who are in the same area as well.
1: That's helpful. Mm. Now, and, I, and I guess on that, What's, what's not helpful is having a very prescriptive approach to what you do. Like a prescriptive as in, oh, it's, it's August, I've got to do this now, I've got to do that. Again, it's about stepping back and going, why, why have I always done that in August? You know, why have I, like as a conventional farmer, I was like, I used to spray, you know, in a, in a very prescriptive way. Mm. And I didn't ever question that, you know. So, you know, fast forward to regenerative ag style mm. farming. You still gotta you know, I suggest you still need to ask yourself questions. You know, like I guess this winter feed gap as an example. You know, what what where what what what's the context of that winter feed gap? Well it's it relates to time of year, the soil temperature, sunshine, the location, the aspect, the cattle you're gonna run through there, that sort of thing. And it's not meant to confuse, it's actually meant to again have people consider the facts and the goals that they need. Make a decision. And it can be really fun and exciting because they go, wow, I never thought of that. You know, mm-hmm. that's really cool. I don't have to do that every August. That's unreal because I've changed a paradigm about when I need to sell cattle. Like, you know, people often get into the thing about, oh, it's May. I've got to wean those cows and cattle. I'm going to put them on a truck. Like, you've got a heap of feed and they're not worth anything. So why are you doing that? You know, as an example. So it's really, it can be really exciting. It is really exciting. And this is the thing that I find about, about all this. And I know you're excited. Because I can tell, you know, this is a—you've had a farm for thirty-three years, and you're breathing life into this farm. Not that it didn't have a life before, but you you, you i can feel there's an, there's an there's a growing sort of a intention, like an um, evolving, and it always involves. You won't have a plan. Go right, that's the plan. You'll have a chat this someone one day, and you, oh, interesting. You read a book. Like I've, I'm getting used to, I'm getting my head around natural sequence farming, and I think it's amazing. I've known about it for years. I spoke to Peter. I followed Peter Andrews up a gully at Maloon Creek ten years ago with a microphone. Right. And him so, about what are
0: you actually doing with your with your natural sequence farming? Nothing, what Are you doing nothing at the moment? Oh. But I'm.
1: But I'm. 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 So gonna, I'm going to learn about it. Right. I'm going to hopefully um, have Stuart Andrews, his son, do a course at Hanamino to, right. to sort of. Do some on-ground stuff, and, and I really want to understand what this is about. Yeah, you know, I understand what it's about. I've read enough books. And have so you
0: on. got a river that goes through Hanemoa?
1: Yeah, I've not not permanent. I've got some creeks, got some gullies. Okay. You know, I, I can see there's definitely opportunity to rehydrate that landscape. Yeah, but I don't know how. I'm not. I'm. I'm. You know, I understand the principles, but the implementation. What are the, the, what are the
0: principles of natural sequence farming? What are do you doing? This is my interview. You're much more interesting.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, people people. No more. It's
0: more interesting to talk to people who know more. No, 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 no. Told
1: you. No, no, no. It's not. And I'm not going to tell you. I'm not. I'm not saying. It's a secret. The principles. Yep. The principles relate very briefly to rehydrating the landscape. Yes. No.
0: I've been to Martin Rhodes' place. I've been to
1: a totally. Yeah. Yeah. He's the man, and Martin, yeah. and and, Peter and Creek, and the Maloon way Creek, they've
0: yeah. everybody's taken it on up the valley. I just love that. That Isn't that they? they took it on. At, mm. It was. It was Terry. Um, who was it? Who started it? Um, Peter Andrews. Oh, who? Do, who is Maloon Creek? Is
1: oh Tony Coote. Tony Coote, yeah, right? Lovely kind, of Tony Coote.
0: And the fact that every other uh, every other um, landowner above them has now also taken it on, so the whole valley is now rehydrated. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Yeah. And uh, that's a wonderful segue, yeah, Rachel, to the 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 neighbourly relations you are building in this little valley.
0: Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. Well. Uh, so I've joined my farm with, we've joined our farm with Mick and with Sarah Schmoody. So we're all together now. We've just, because it's difficult in this area, because it's basically pretty small, 100 acre plots, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to make um, much of a margin on 60 cattle. And so we decided that we, because we were all about the same size, um, we would just pull our fences down and join our herd together, and move our herd around the combined properties. So um, that has given us a hell of a lot more land to work with. And um, another reason why I can't sell, shouldn't sell my cattle is because, of course, it's moving around, they're nipping, they're, they're increasing photosynthesis, and they're doing all that, that, that heart carbon replenishing, hopefully. In some tiny small way, we're doing our little bit in Inglebar, the Inglebar State Forest. There we go. We came. knew we were, we're going to doing get our there. little bit for the Inglebar State Forest. Welcome, Inglebar. Yes.
1: That's a great name. Inglebar It is a
0: great name. How could I forget it? But there you go. Um, Imagine
1: calling a child Inglebar. There you go.
0: There you go. Well, we've got one on the way, maybe.
1: Inglebar. Ingle. Where does cool. that come from?
0: I don't that know. It must be an
1: indigenous name. No? I, trust it, yes. I trust it would be. And I'm not familiar. Um, Bunge, is this Bunjalung country? I should I should know that. I must apologise for not working. I know that down to. Um, no, it mustn't be because I oh, know Coffs Harbour. I think to Coffs Harbour, it's, 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 it's um, 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 Bunjalung. Um, Bunjalung, sorry. Um, so I'm not sure whether this falls into that category or not. We shall find out. Um, so signed, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, totally that, that's another nation, consideration yeah. is, mm-hmm. is how, you know, um, Indigenous communities, um, you know, um, revered and, and managed their landscape. And there's so much, as you, you mentioned Bruce Pascoe there before, you know, his, his digging into the, the diaries of, of um, pioneers and explorers is fascinating.
0: Well, the Indigenous life around here, I've read the most fantastic, I can't remember the title of it now, that explained all of the history here. And of course, it was all the timber, timber getters that, were, yeah. that came up here and used mm. the rivers to take the timber down. Mm. And they pushed the indigenous population right up against the Great Dividing Range. Mm. And they had a, a meeting, finally, where they you know just decimated their lives and their livelihoods. And they said, okay, let's have a truce here. Let's have a deal here. Leave us the footlands, the, 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 the foothills of the Great Dividing Range. Just give us that. Mm. You take the rest. Mm. And we couldn't even make the deal there. No, they weren't given it. So that was really, then they were basically, you know, herded out of this whole area, lost this whole area. But there was an opportunity there for them to go, okay, let's divide this up. You've got the lowlands. You've mm. got the grasslands. Just give us that.
1: Not even a shredded decency to do that. Yeah, Um, that is. um, There's there's a there's a whole podcast series right there. Um, Now talking, uh, talking about the future. Can you? And this is what I referenced before about what you're doing and why you've jumped into this regenerative ag conversation is unique. Can you tell us about any projects you're working on at the moment? Well, yes,
0: I suppose when I went Charlie, when I read Charlie's book, I went loved reading this, but I'm just my my appetite was wet to meet all of these farmers that were doing it, and these for me they were just um well pioneers obviously, but taking such huge risks and such independent thinkers to go this way. And there were so many of them out there doing these extraordinary things. And I just, I wanted to see the land that Charlie was talking about. I wanted to see the difference between, over the fence, between their land and the neighbour's land. And everybody just sounded, I don't know whether Charlie just wrote it in a way, I mean, I've since found out that, you know, the Regeners are, um, I don't know, what is it? They are, um, I've just been delighted by meeting So, I mean, I've done probably 20, 25 interviews with Regeners of one type or another. And there's something so, um, well, you're alive, all of you, for a start. You're very alive. You're very um, excited by what you're seeing and what you're doing. I mean, even somebody like David Marsh, who's been doing it for a long time now, his enthusiasm, when you go around the paddocks with him, when he says, oh, look what's happening here or the way he uh, just talks about the trees and the birds and um, he is just very alive. And I mean, I'm sure there are farmers who are conventionally farming who are very alive too. I mean, I'm not saying that that's not the, tr- the case, but there's something about, I mean, my farm manager, Mick Green, has changed, his whole personality has changed since he started doing this. He was slightly dragging his feet before. He was slightly... Ho-hum. his father done it his whole life he was going to do it the same way there was just nothing particularly fresh or invigorating about it he started doing this and he is um he is just ignited he is, he is just cannot he, he lives and breathes it and so does his wife and so does probably his kids these days too and he's just um so it definitely has this effect on you and I don't know what that is other than the fact that you actually Imagine that uh, you are really healing the landscape and I feel at the moment that God, uh, we need to heal it. When I was up in Feb, in, in before Christmas up in the Inverell area, when I saw that landscape, how decimated it was, how barren it was, how, there was just no cover on that land at all. It was just grey dirt. And that was shocking. And where the tree looks apocalyptic, you know, the trees were dead. They just lost everything. And yet, the roadways, the the uh, you know this the this, the, verge. the verges yeah. were still covered with grass. They still had covering. And you went. Actually, the pastures should be in the should be mm-hmm. the same here. They we shouldn't have got it to that point. And that's just. Um, um, so that woke me up a bit, you know. Just the way we can't keep doing it like that. We can't keep, um, we can't keep the destruction up of the landscape and whatever that takes. And you know, and I'm uh, as you know, irritating for some newbie to come in and say that. But sometimes it takes a newbie to see it for the first time. You know. Tali, when I went up Tali, there, I was just, like, so shocked, hmm. by the way. Yes, it was deep drought, but um, why would the stock are still on there? There, The stock was still, still there. And um, it just seemed nobody was being served. The cattle weren't being served. There were, no, there were so few trees in the paddocks. Um, you know, something has to turn around because it, look, it, 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 it looks shocking. And, and it, looked shocking. I don't believe it was, you know, it's just, it's a combination of the way we're farming it and the drought, of course. Um, and, you know, of course I was up there even to see... Um,
2: Mike, and, yes, Mike and Helen. Yes, Mike and it. Helen and yeah. their
0: land was, in, was was terrible too at that point. But at least they were ready for when the rain mm. came. They They still had that structure in the soil. They were ready. And... Geez, you saw it when the, land, when the rain did come and how their dams didn't fill. Mm. That was so interesting. Because the water went Because the water went into Not, the soil. It yeah. wasn't just running off and running into the dams. Mm. So that way of just looking at land and, um, and understanding it in a different way. And that was true. And then the rains came and theirs bounced back so quickly. Mm. It was extraordinary. And, uh, and, and Judy Earl. I mean, her, her she kept... She, for two years, she kept, uh, she had more cattle on her property than she'd ever had and she was two years into drought. <laughs> By the time she went into the third year, she was, re- she was suffering yeah. as much as anyone else. But while everybody else was getting, had, having to get rid of their cattle, she still had them on two years later, mm. more than she'd ever had.
1: And what were you doing so, up there?
0: Well, I was doing, <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? I mean, I'm attempting to. To, to to tell your stories. I'm attempting to to tell this story. I mean, for me, it seems like um, the potential for an agricultural revolution. Um, grand grand words, but it seems like particularly in Australia and particularly in land, marginal land, if we can't find ways to hold water in the land better, um, we're done for. If we can't find ways to pull more carbon in, keep the cover on the on the ground, get more biodiversity out there, we're done for. I mean, I think that's our – if we're going to keep burning, we're going to keep burning carbon, we've got to pull it down. We've got to then – we've got to give it back with our our soils and our landscape and our farming. And maybe farmers have to take responsibility a little bit for the way that it's been – Destroyed, a lot of it destroyed, and um, and therefore the farmers are the ones who can actually heal it. They can t- turn around round and go, on, "Okay, we've spent two hundred years pillaging, getting it to this state. Now let's be responsible for getting it right." So farmers have a you know have a very very serious role to play. You're a, and you're mm. a farmer, aren't mm. you? Yeah, I can't escape it.
1: Well, this is the cool thing. You, you you're on a mission, and you have not necessarily a blank canvas, but you've got you've got um, and that maybe that might seem scary, but that's it's really cool. You've got like a you've got a you've got a live experiment going on here. Yeah, well, so does great. everybody. Everybody yeah. who goes yeah, into totally. this has a live
0: experiment going yeah. on. Yep, absolutely. I'm I'm one of them. I'm one of them, and I'm very I'm excited to be on it, and I'm um. I'm excited to be excited about things like, ah, oh, there's a whole lot new clover in here. Ah, oh, that's, <laughs> that's a new cool. species of grass here. Yeah. Ah, oh, that poo is looking pretty good. It's <laughs> not stacking up. There's not, you know, cool. suddenly a poo becomes interesting.
1: <laughs> what do you mean it hasn't been interesting before? No. <laughs> cow poo. We're talking about cow poo, people. Yeah. <laughs> Now you're Rachel, you are um you've got a farm and, and as we said, you've got a, a live experiment. For those that are, you know, mums and dads and sort of, you know, whatever whatever age and or stage of their life who don't have a farm but are interested in this sort of thing, is there anything you can suggest they do see, listen I don't know. You know, it sort of steps towards. Uh, oh, okay. Kind of getting on board. Yes, with this. but
0: yeah. But we still have to get our marketplace organized. We have to get our branding. We have to get our messaging right. We have to um, find. We have to, you know, find recognizable labels so that people who are food interesting, labels, are you yes, about, yeah. food labels, people who are interested in the possibilities and the potentials that we're talking about, as far as you know, balancing working with Mother Nature and pulling carbon from the atmosphere and rebalancing our carbon footprint, if we're interested in that. And it seems like exponentially we are. And, you know, we, there's not many, there's not a lot of people out there who are these days, I think, downright climate deniers. I think most people. <laughs> know that the ice caps are melting and that things are not as they were and that there is some very serious issues out there. And uh, if we're going to have kind of life that we've been able to enjoy, if our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to be able to enjoy the bounty that we have, we, you know, I think people are waking up to that as I have woken up to that. Um, Late, too late, done too little, but anyway, eventually getting there. So, if they want to, they need to buy the products that come from that land. And that shouldn't be any more expensive than land than, than they should have a choice between mm. conventionally grown beef and regen beef. And knowing that you you know, there may not be that much difference even in the product, but you know if you buy that, you are encouraging more farmers to adopt the regen mm. technique. And he'll he well to the start, Inglebar, um, then Inglebar, then maybe New South Wales, then mm. maybe Australia, mm. then maybe Asia, and you know just
1: roll. Anyway, out. we
0: know it's coming up everywhere. We know that it's you know creeping out in pockets all over the world.
1: Do you think there's resistance? If you if you, you, you where do you see if you do where do you see resistance to? to, to uh, I think
0: um, yeah. oh I think that's very warranted resistance I think it's scary to take on something new It's always scary to reinvent your, reinvent yourself reinvent the wheel reinvent what you've become very comfortable doing what's worked for you for a long time I think you know like was very apparent in Charlie's book a lot of people had come to, you know been thrown against the wall before they actually made serious changes to the way they did things Um, and that's, you know, you never wish that upon anybody, but it's amazing how that has, and for us, it was the fires. For me, it was the fires too. Catalyst? Yeah. It was a combination of the fires, the fury of the fires. Mm. You just, something was really out of step. That, that, the ferocity of those fires everywhere. It Mm. was just Mother Nature screaming at us, halt. Yeah. Halt. Do something differently. This is not working. Um, so that was a big wake-up call, and it was really after that that I then read the call of the rewild and went right. Okay, this is it. And um, whatever I can do <clears throat> to bring this to the public and a little bit, like a bit, you know, just open the space just a little bit more w- with whatever I could do to open that space just a little bit more. Um, I jumped right in and started.
1: Is there? The, uh Are you seeing or hearing or feeling resistance at a a larger scale from industry, from corporations, from you know other quarters?
0: No, I'm not. I I, I'm feeling enormous interest, actually, great interest. But also, I mean, not everybody can, um, uh, not everybody has the opportunity to contribute within the space. So, and I think we're a bit of a way away from getting people from being able to. Include a, include the public, include the consumer, because we haven't got our uh, uh, um, land to market branding loudly enough out there. Give that a plug, or whatever that one is. Mm. Yes, yeah, so we're having a land to market, which is a um, part of the Savory Institute's way of identifying um, a regen farmer by measuring what they are doing on their land. So have they got, are they building biodiversity? Are they building water capacity? Are they building soil health? And if they are on that trajectory, they get a land-to-market verification. There is no certification. don't have to do it a certain way. But if your land, your soil is building, your humus is building, you know that you're drawing more carbon down, um, you are a healer, not a, mm. not a raper. You are um, putting back. And so if, as a consumer, you want to encourage more people to go that way, more people to land regeneratively, um, to farm regeneratively, more land to heal itself, then probably should think about buying the products that have come off that regenerated land and encourage more people to take those risks and to change their headspace so that – I mean, it's so clearly – is the right direction.
1: Well, can I – I'm just looking at the time, and before we finish up, Rachel, I'd just like to verify something. The, bea- the beauty of your property here, because mm. we're sitting here over mm. – again, we're going back to where we started, but this beautiful dam slash mm. lake meandering up the gully. The cattle have found their way to up the end there as a few – yeah, there's a, a there's an electric car. fence up yeah. there, so
0: they haven't been moved into their next section yet. Mm. That should be happening pretty soon,
1: I would think. But this is um, this is amazing. It's it's a beautiful location. You are um, you know you're the steward of this landscape, and I, for one, am um, really excited for you and also relieved that it's in the hands of such a capable person and i just want to say what a what a what an honor and a joy it's been to have the chat today and i know that you were doubtful of the appropriate appropriateness of you being included on this but this is absolutely front and center um relevant to our listeners and and you Well i
0: hope i'm just an example of just another another ordinary person who's um and, and i certainly can't take credit for it Mick Green and Darren Newbury who are on you know who are doing it. I'm with my enormous enthusiasm, but my effort is really, I suppose, doing the documentary and actually getting the word out there and mm. um, letting people know that there is another way. Um, and there are a lot of people out there who are doing it another way and having a very rich, very exciting life doing it that way. Um, and so that was, that's my contribution, really. I can't really take enormous. Credit for what's what Mick is doing out there, except that he has my absolute enthusiasm and um encouragement to take it to get as much biodiversity, as much as um water holding capacity, as much wildlife, you know, bring it back to its optimum health. I suppose before we started trampling all over it in our clumsy way,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say what, a, what um, I'm really glad you're on the team.
0: Thanks, Charlie.
1: Because this is, this, is, this is cool.
0: Well, I love being on the team and thanks, thanks for having me.
1: That's a pleasure. Let's, <laughs> um, let's continue on our merry way. And uh, not that we're on a team that's looking to win a war, we're just looking to make a, a big difference, yeah?
0: Huge difference. Huge, slowly, slowly catchy mm. monkey. Mm. slowly slowly and there's some um such bright people in this space that are just um i'm so feel so blessed to have come across them and uh good people yeah
1: talking about good people anyone who's listening out there don't forget to um you know if you if you've been inspired by this this show and what rachel's doing we'll we'll have show notes um that people can sort of um Reference the things we've touched on along the way during the last little while and also don't be shy to um, flick this episode or any other episode to anyone you think might find it interesting. You know, as I say to people, hands up if you eat food and everyone puts their hand up. It's like, good, well, that's that's a good start, you know, so maybe flick this to anyone who eats food. <laughs> mm, well, that would get
0: you a few... Um <laughs>
1: a few uh, whatever I don't know I feel
0: very <laughs> ill qualified to be talking about it as you know very ill qualified but I'll get there I'll get there and um, um, hopefully I will be in a better position next time to, to um, talk about it with much greater authority but I'm really enjoying the journey and it's very exciting to get to my age and suddenly have this huge world just open up for you and for you to be um, this excited about I wasn't expecting that
1: no and you know look you're thank you for sharing your regenerative journey and it's not over that's that's the cool thing you know maybe it's just at
0: a time when i was
1: degenerating
0: i'm now be
1: there you go you are on a new a new orbit off i go thank you rachel that was really fun thank you for having us wonderful very impressive go for a swim no
0: goodbye (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnott.com.au.